Would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16? We're going to get there here in just a little bit. Uh, we are continuing, um, continuing our series, Doing It Wrong. We've got a couple more weeks after today that we're going to, going to continue with this. Has it blessed you at all? Been encouraged at all? Um, last week we talked about doing it wrong without joy. Uh, and today I want to talk to you about doing it wrong with guilt. If you are a child of God forgiven by His grace, His mercy, if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and yet you are drudged and stuck in carrying around a pile of guilt the rest of your life about past sins, past mistakes, past regrets, current mistakes, uh, current faults and failures. Listen, if that's how you're living your life, I just want to tell you you're doing it wrong. There's more for you than that. Amen? The Lord doesn't want us to be bogged down with a bunch of regrets and, 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 and things of that nature. Not saying we've never made mistakes and not saying that we can't make mistakes because we will. But we serve a loving God and we all have a tendency to feel like we have to earn His favor when that is not God at all. He loves us. Amen? Just as an example, I, as a kid, I, I was probably eight, nine years old. And I was playing baseball over the hill down here at the park. Same old baseball diamond that a lot of these kids play at today. And uh, it would have, wasn't even in the majors. I know that sounds so old. I was in the minor leagues, the one step up from peewee. You know what I mean? And it must have been tournament time because we played a game and we had lost. And I, and I, I don't know if you know this about your pastor. When I get competitive, I can be a pretty nasty person. And uh, early on in, in, in the early age of my life, I wanted to win everything. I mean, I would, play, I would play Candyland with my sisters, and if I didn't win, the board's flying and parts flying, and I'd turn around and walk away. That's just how it was. I mean, Paula, more times than once, was, Mom, Daddy, you got the game over. You go clean the game. I was like, ah, stupid Candyland. <laughs> Board, I'd sit there really calm, and then I'd just get my fingers under it and go, <laughs> flip it up and walk off. I didn't like to lose, Okay. So I was that little kid, and I, I, I can take myself to the exact spot in, in what God did for me in this moment. He's given me a reminder. We'll talk about this a little bit further in a minute. But, but He injected a reminder into my life uh, to, that taught me something. At the moment, it didn't seem that big, but, but it, it really trained me on who God is. And as I left the park, I get in the back seat of the car, and we're, we're leaving, and, and Dad's driving. Mom was in there, and, and we leave the park, and I'm mad. Okay, now I knew better than to sit there and yell and scream and do stuff because I get whooped. You don't want whooped, right? But I'm so mad that it just was burned inside of me and it couldn't come out with anything. So I'm just like, (laughs) so I'm just sitting back there just crying. (laughs) And uh, I can I can go to the spot in my mind. We we went out to to Portland Arch, went to Roger and Linda's house, turned and went north. And we just went over the little hill past the park, and there's a little bridge there, right? You all know where I'm at? Going north out of town. I get to the little bridge, and Dad says, what's the matter with you? Will you? I sit back, and I'm mad. Well, he starts to try to comfort me a little bit in my loss, and I said, I said, all I ever want, I just want you to be proud of me. Now, where did that come from? I mean, I'm like a little eight-year-old. Dad, I guarantee you, does not remember this conversation. I promise you. I'm like an eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old kid, whatever, sitting in the back of the car, mad because we lost a game, upset, frustrated. And my mind went from having lost a game to, I just want my dad to be proud of me. And we got a little further down the road after I answered, and I can tell you, we were right out there by Fulton, uh, Fulton Airport. It used to be Fulton Airport out there. And uh, dad, Dad's driving and turned around talking to me at the same time. Oh, maybe he was looking in the mirror. Maybe he moved it and looked at me. I don't know. But he, he said, I want you to listen to me and listen good. He said, I don't care whether you win a game or if you lose the game. It doesn't matter to me. You're my son, and I will always be proud of you. You don't have to earn it. That sticks in my head like you wouldn't believe. I don't know why, what in the world would cause an eight, nine-year-old boy to feel like he has to earn the love of his father. 
It doesn't make sense. Dad had never done anything wrong to me. He had never been mean, harsh, rude, or anything else. Dad had never done anything to make me feel like I was less than. Good grief. I was the only boy in a family of five kids with four older sisters. I was the youngest and the only son. I was, I was spoiled. There was no reason for me to feel like I had to do something special to earn anything from dad or from mom. But I don't know why. I mean, I know why God made this stick in my head from that early age and bring me back to it because I wish that I could have figured it out for God like I figured it out with my dad. You see, it was years later. I become, uh, you know, high school and football is my thing. That was me and dad's love language. That's what we talked about was football. You know what I'm saying? That's how we could talk to one another. So high school football, I wanted to be the man. I wanted to hurt somebody to make my dad happy. Dad was happy if I hurt somebody. So you get through and you sack the quarterback. You roll down off the ground. After they go down, you jump up and you point at dad in the stands. Dad's going like this. But here's the thing. By that point, I didn't feel like I had to try to impress him to earn his love. I knew he loved me and I knew he would celebrate with me. I didn't, it wasn't a bondage thing that made me feel like, well, if we lose today, my dad's going to hate me. Look, my dad's pleased with me. And if I do something the good in the game, regardless, win or lose, he wants me to win. But if I lose, he's still going to celebrate the good things I did. You see, I learned that with my earthly father, but it took me so long to figure that out with my heavenly father. Day after day. Struggling. Today I'm going to do better. Today I'm going to do this right. Today, And then when I fall short or I do something different than what my expectation was or what my desire was to do for God, I look back and I pick up a bunch of guilt and say, well, I failed again. For a long period in my life, into my early adult years, even though I wanted to serve God, even though I was trying to in some effect and in some way, all I could see was my shortcomings, my failures, and my guilt. And you could have asked me at that time, say, Bob, you know, what do you think God thinks about you? And I would have given you an answer that would have blown you away. I would have told you he don't like me. All I do is mess up. All I do is fail him. I want to do this, but I, I find myself doing this. I want to do this for him, but I find myself falling short. And the reality of it is, folks, is that I had made God this being that required me to do X, Y, Z for him to accept me that day. And if we're living that way, we're doing it wrong. It will sap the life. It will sap the joy. It'll sap the peace out of you. And hopefully today, by the end of our time together, hopefully we can, we can understand him a little bit better and move beyond that thinking. As a Pentecostal church, our tendency and our history is, is, is a lot of works-based things of impressions of God. How you dress, how you act, how you speak, what you do. And all those things are important. But if we're not careful, it rolls over into a realm as though God is, is just as fickle in, our, in His relationship with us as we are with people. But He's not. He loves us. And as His children, He's always proud of us. Right now, me saying those words, there are some of you that have a hard time receiving that. And it's okay. I've been where you are. Okay, I've been where you are and I totally understand where you're coming from. But hopefully today, God will mess us up a little bit. Amen. Peter, uh, I, I, Peter and I have so much in common, it's not even funny. Peter and I are so much alike that, that, that it's, it's just almost uncanny how we act and behave. For example, I'm just going to give you some examples of Peter, some things that I identify with Peter. Okay, he, he, had, a fleshly, uh, he had fleshly motives in mind at times while he was following Jesus. You remember the time where Jesus told the disciples that he was, he was going to die? And Peter looks at him and says, no, Lord. Peter rebukes Jesus for the plan of God. And he says, oh, no, Lord, that will never happen. And, and Jesus turns around to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you've got the things of man involved in, in, in mind instead of the things of God. And, and uh, calls Peter Satan. Now, listen, I get Peter because there have been times in my life where I didn't think the will of God was the best thing for me. 
I have fallen short. When God has led me to certain things that I didn't want to deal with and that I didn't think was it, uh, no, God, absolutely not. That will not happen. Too many times I have followed God and, and resisted His will for my life and missed some things and have to be rebuked by God. And so when that happens, I understand the guilt. I understand the, the, the feeling of failure and think, oh, I have just let God down big time. Can you imagine the pain in Peter's life when Jesus called him Satan? <sighs> to me, it, it, it would have wrecked me. But so many times I have been outside of the will of God and resisted his will. Another thing is, is he, was over, he was overconfident and rash at times. Peter gives a great promise of faithfulness. I don't know if anybody else can identify with this one. Lord, I will never betray you. I'm ready, Lord, to go to prison or die with you. That's what Peter told Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, <laughs> before the cock crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. I don't know about you, but I can identify with Peter where I have, I have great aspirations to serve God. I have made great promises to God. I have told God, never again will I do this. Lord, I, I'll never do this again. God, I promise you I will do this. And so many times I have found myself falling flat on my face and messing up in the things that I said I was going to avoid. I find myself in the very thing that I promised Jesus I would never say, do, or act upon again. So I pick my guilt up. I've let him down again. I broke my promise. I broke my promise to the Lord. I'm sure he's not happy with me. And then I fight in prayer and roll and groan and beg, God, please, please don't remove yourself from me. Oh God, please, please forgive me. God, please, please. And so I strap the guild on and I continue on to the next day. Peter, he slept when he should have been praying. <laughs> Peter slept when he should have been praying with Jesus. And then he also was awake while Jesus was sleeping in the boat. You know, I, I'm like Peter in that sense that so many times I have missed God moments for my fleshly feelings and desires and wants. There have been times where I've just missed it. Have you ever had a time you just missed it? You look back and you say, well, God, there was a, a golden opportunity that I just let slip by. Lord, I want to serve you, but how did, how did I do that? How did I miss this? Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I go there? Why didn't I do this? How is it that I was so wrapped up in everything else that I missed what you really wanted me to do at that moment? And so I picked my guilt up. I pick up the frustration that I think God has for me. You know, Peter, another thing he did was he overreacted. <laughs> of course, this time of year, Peter gets beat up a lot. You know, we start talking about Easter and, and uh, in the... Uh, the guard coming out and taking Jesus and, and Peter, here he was given a sword in a chapter or two before and then he shows up with the sword when the guards come. He goes, oh, I'm going to use a sword. Takes a swing at a guy, cuts his ear off, misses his neck. He was a horrible shot. And, and so Jesus heals the guy and rebukes Peter. Peter overreacted. And I can't help but understand Peter's life because more than once, God has given me things that I've misused. More than once, I've overreacted in situations and caused a bigger mess that God had to clean up for me. People say, well, but Pastor Bob, you know, theologically speaking, it was God's will so that he could heal a man and show people a representation of the power of Christ inside of him so that people could rejoice and get saved. Okay, no, what happened was is that he took something bad and turned it good. He healed a guy's ear and then he rebuked Peter. I don't think that was God's plan for Peter to sin in that way. I believe God knew he was going to. But I don't think God said, you know, I think what we'll do is we'll have one of our disciples overreact. And, uh, and what we'll do is we'll have him take a shot, but not kill the guy, cut his ear off like an idiot. And then we'll, we'll put that back on his head. And just make That's not God's plan. It was Peter overreacting. And so many times in my life, I have overreacted in my flesh and I have made messes that God's had to clean up. And every time I think about the situation or run into the same people and those things, I think of my mess and I'm like, Lord... And I pick the guild up, strap it on my back and move on. I can identify with Peter because Peter, 
who had made great aspirations of serving God, when given an opportunity to fulfill what he said he would do, denied Christ. He had said, I'll go to the cross, I'll go to, I'll go to prisoner death with you, Lord. And here was his golden opportunity to do what he promised, and he denied him three times. So many times in my life, I have denied him. So many times when opportunity was there for me to put myself out there in a little bit of a scary place to say or do something for the Lord that I failed to do it and I stayed back, stayed quiet, denied Him that opportunity. And so I, like Peter, picked my guild up, threw it on my back, walked off and said, missed opportunity. I let him down again. I'm a failure. And there's no way that he can be pleased in me for my, my actions and my behaviors. Everything I just talked about, can you identify with a part of it? Have any of us been there before, or is it just me? Listen, God wants greater things for us than to pick our guilt up every day and to assume that I have to earn His favor. Some of you right now are struggling with that statement because you're thinking, wow, but pastor, what about holiness? What about all these things? Holiness and obedience is a result of a realization of the power of Christ in my life. You will not earn God's salvation. You will not earn anything by obeying and doing all these things. And and listen, you didn't get saved because you were a good person. You didn't earn salvation by the Lord looking and saying, oh, you know what, that one, I think they finally figured it out. I'll save them. It's not how it works. And God's grace and His mercy is so much bigger and beyond all of these things. So hopefully today we'll have a grasp of it. Mark chapter 16. If anyone needed to feel guilty, it's Peter. If anyone needs to feel guilty, it's me. If there's anybody that's got any reason to be guilty, it's us. Amen? But God wants to deliver, deliver us from it today. So, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome, or Salome, however you want to... If you say Salome, it sounds too much like Salami and I get hungry. So let's say Salome. They all go to the tomb and they see an angel. Okay? And the angel's sitting there and the angel says this, verse 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified... He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. In our flesh, and in our natural understanding of that, we might look at that and say, well, the disciples, because Peter had denied him. You know, Peter had had all these problems. Go tell the disciples uh, and Peter. Listen, Our our flesh will make us think that Peter's an afterthought, but he is not. Go tell the disciples and Peter. What the Lord's saying to the ladies is, is I want you to go and I want you to gather up the disciples and I want you to tell them to go ahead of me and I'm going to meet them in this place. But when you do it, gather them all together, but make sure you talk to Peter. Make sure Peter knows that he's still one of us. Make sure that Peter has grasped that though he's made mistakes, I prayed for him. Remember? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. And that when you return, see, the return has always been the plan of God. That when you return, you will encourage your brethren. Peter, I have something for you. Gather the disciples as a group, but don't you dare let Peter stay off by himself and and wonder whether or not I love him. You tell Peter also to go ahead. Folks, you and I may not fully grasp what that means, but I'm telling you today, in preparation for this message, the Lord is saying, Bob, I want you to gather up the disciples of First Assembly of God, and I want you to fill in the blank, child of God, who it is that He's saying, I want you to stop beating yourself up. I'm calling you. Don't just see it as a big group message. This is a personal message. Yes, you've made mistakes. Yeah, you've fallen short in your mind. But you know, he knew it was going to happen. And yet he chose you. 
I'm going to mess you up today. You ready? Peter. Go and tell Peter. On this Palm Sunday, turn over to Matthew chapter 23. And remember, we're, we're, we're dealing with a man here that has, has in, in every sense, fallen. And had he been in a works-based relationship with Christ, he would have fallen completely out of grace. But that's not who God is. On this Palm Sunday, we've got to put down the burden of our past regrets, forgiving ourselves, and stop trying to walk with guilt. We must remember the heart of our Savior and celebrate His entry into this situation called life. On Palm Sunday, we know the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem as He really begins the Holy Week here and and He's preparing to lay His life down at the Passover as the sacrificial lamb for the forgiveness of our sins. Can I get an amen for that one? He comes in on a donkey and all these people are celebrating, singing Hosanna before Him and laying palm branches down, symbols of nation as an Israel, uh, Israel as a nation again, laying those things down, worshiping as He comes in. And then we see what He says about Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verse 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. 23:37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Let's grasp what our Savior is saying and what the heart of the Father is saying towards these people. He says, I have longed to gather you to myself. I have longed to gather you like a, a chick would gather her hen. The, the hen would gather her chicks and cover you, protect you, bless you, care for you, feed you. This place, Jerusalem, is more than brick and mortar. It's full of the people of God. This was the place where God had planned ahead to establish His throne, His people, to put His name on it. The city of Zion. This place where the Lord is speaking of is a place full of people who killed the prophets that He sent to them, sent to them in love. These people, in His mind, and He describes them as murderers. People who were rebellious and resisted God. But I want us to stop for a second and consider His heart towards Jerusalem. He longed for them. Hear me, child of God. He longed for them. He longed for the children of Jerusalem. He longed for the ones who had murdered His prophets and who would soon lay Him down and crucify Him. He longed for the very ones that had despised Him. That's the heart of our Father. You see, here's the key to this. Is that you and I, were no different than Jerusalem. We need Jesus to come into our lives humbly. Maybe not riding a donkey, but we need Him to come into our lives and deal with us. Because I'm telling you this, that in a lost condition, He longed for you, child of God. Many years, however long it took for you to repent of your sin and make Him the Lord of your life, there was a period of time there where you didn't realize this, but the Creator of the universe, the One that breathed breath into your lungs, the One we breathe in and out even right now, is closer to us than our next breath. That God has longed for you. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what your actions were. Doesn't matter how sinful you were. He was referring to these people that were murderers, and He longed for them. Longed for them. You and I are Jerusalem's. Jerusalem at the time was under Roman rule. They were under bondage. Everybody say bondage. You and I also, when Christ found us, we were under bondage. And if you say you weren't, you're a crazy person. You were under bondage. All of us were. Israel was under a religious bondage. See, they were the headquarters of religion, but they didn't have a relationship with God. And most of us probably knew about God, knew about church in and out of the doors somewhere, but we had some kind of a religious bondage where while we may, may have attended somewhere, we had no relationship. But yet He longed for us. The actions of our lives. Isn't it so easy for us to assume it's our actions? It's our actions that drives God away. Well, I did this wrong. (sighs) Drives God away. With Jerusalem, you know what the issue was? It was their condition. More than it was their actions. Their action was that they were murderers. 
But the condition was, is that they were lost. And because they were lost, it drew and just begged for the Messiah to come in and deliver them. The actions are only an overflow of the condition. It's other people's actions that offends us. They said this. They did this. I can't believe it. But it's, it's their condition that should drive us to be compassionate. The actions are just an overflow of their condition. They're lost. So you and I were exactly like Jerusalem when the Lord found us, when He rode into our lives, when He came in and sacrificed Himself in our fallen state. He, he loved us. When we didn't know Him, He loved us, even though we had all kinds of sinful behaviors, even though we were in bondage, even though we had a form of religion without relationship, He loved us enough to draw us to Himself and to save us in that condition. Romans 5, turn there quickly. If you've got your Bibles, mark these verses up, remind yourself of them. This is a passage we're all very familiar with, but... But I just want to hit it again because it's vitally important. I think we forget sometimes as we live out our faith that we make some mistakes and we do things wrong and then we carry that the rest of our lives and we feel like God's not pleased with me and God's upset with me and God's angry with me. But look at Romans 5 verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, when things weren't good, He died for us. (laughs) He he didn't find you in a good state. He didn't find you in a good place. When He drew you to Himself, you were the murderer of Jerusalem. I mean, that's, that's us. He longed for us in our lost condition. And when He found you that way, He loved you in it. And He had compassion for you in it. He had mercy for you in it. So that while you were still a sinner, He died for you. When you were lost, you had incurred the love of Christ upon your life, whether you knew it or not. This wild, crazy, out of control, uh, uncomprehendable love that God has, you have been a recipient of it before you ever asked for it. He went to the cross while you still looked at the cross and and laughed. Some of you in this room, there was a time in your life where you cringe because you made fun of God. You made fun of believers. You made fun of that stuff. And the reality of it is, is while you were making fun of Him, He was loving you and He was drawing you and He was calling you. Listen, that is the kind of love that our God has. So when He found you in the beginning, you were lost and it wasn't good. You didn't earn His love to begin with. So why is it after we're saved that I feel like I've got to just get up and earn His love today? That's why we need to read the next few verses. Verse 9, Romans 5. Since we have now been justified by His blood. okay, He died for us while we were still sinners. But now being justified by His blood. How much more? Everybody say more. That was pathetic. More. 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 You know what I'm saying. How much more? Shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? More saved. Everybody say more saved. saved. Is it possible to be more saved, Pastor? I thought I was just saved. Well, I'm just telling you that the writer Romans here, who I believe to be Paul, says you're more saved. Huh, that's confusing. For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son... How much more, everybody say more. More. Great big more. more. There you go. How much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God, Paul's saying there. I believe to be Paul. A lot of people say it's not this one, it's that one. I don't care who it is. I think it's Paul. But anyway, reconciled to God. So what he's saying is, is over here, we were not reconciled to God. In this life, I did everything I wanted to do in rejection, disobedience of God, do whatever I want. Uh, I laugh at him, I scoff at him. By his love, he draws me to himself. I repent 
I'm saved. I'm forgiven of my sins. And yet then, as I start on my journey with Him, He's saying I'm more saved. Why is it then that if He loved me when I didn't love Him, that now when I love Him and want to please Him, why is it that my mind goes to that place when I did as an eight-year-old boy that I think now when I make a mistake, God is mad at me? He doesn't love me anymore. I have to earn that love back. And I've got to do it right for the next six weeks or else God's, if I don't get it fixed, if I don't do this, then God's going to, God doesn't listen. He says, what more? We're more saved. You say, what are you talking about? It's a little bit like being pregnant. You know, you can't really get more pregnant. If you're pregnant, you're pregnant, right? Well, she's more pregnant than she was. Well, no, she's still pregnant, right? But when you first get pregnant, when, when Miranda, every time, Miranda just keeps getting pregnant all the time. <laughs> I don't care. Just keep bringing grandbabies. We don't even stink and care. Just as long as there's grandbabies, we don't care. I think they care at this point, but, but <laughs> I don't because I love grandbabies. But, you know, they told us at Christmas that, that she's pregnant again. And, and this one was a surprise pregnancy. You know what I'm saying? So we're like, what? You're serious? You're just joking. No, we're serious. And so we were really excited. But I'm telling you, she told us she's pregnant, but she don't look pregnant. But over time, she looks different. Amen? There's a progression of a pregnancy that's not more pregnancy, but she's more pregnant than she was a month ago. You know what I'm saying? So with salvation, it's the same thing. You start out here and you get saved. You really don't see a whole lot. But as we follow Christ, it should grow in us. The salvation should grow in us until it becomes more and more evident. The reality of we are more saved. We are more saved now in a place of reconciliation with God than we were when we weren't reconciled with God. Even though He gave us love at that time and He drew us to Himself over here in a reconciled state, why is it that we would think God is more mad at me now than he was back then. He loves us, child of God. And he he has poured out his mercy. He's poured out his forgiveness. And I'm going to give you another verse that's going to mess you up. You ready? And I forgot to put this one on the screen, I guess, from the first service. uh, But Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 21. Deuteronomy 31, 21. Now, Moses is telling the children of Israel, he's preparing them to go into the promised land. And he says, he says, look, I'm going to make covenants with you. God's going to make covenants and all this stuff. And tell them, if you will obey the Lord, there's blessings. If you don't obey the Lord, there's, there's going to be curse and punishment for that. But he looks at him and he says this. He looks at Moses and he says this about him. Look, they're going to do it anyway. The people are going to cross that river. They're going to go over and embrace the other gods of the nations that were driving out before them. God's telling Moses this. After all of this whole ordeal of, of the law and, and them covenanting themselves to God and say, we will not forsake the Lord our God. And, and, and so God says, hey Moses, just so you know, they're going to forsake me when they get across the river. And he says, but I want to do something for them. I want you to give, I'm going to give you a song, Moses. And I want you to show them and teach them this song because even when they forget about me, They'll never forget this song. And it will drive them back. Listen to this verse right here. Verse Deuteronomy 31.21. When I read this in my devotions last week, I was like, ha, 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 And when many disasters and difficulties come upon them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them an oath. He knew what they were going to do before He took them there. You know, sometimes we forget that God is omniscient. Sometimes we forget that God knows everything that's going to happen. It's already happened before Him. He sees it. He knows it all. But for us, we're kind of having it revealed day by day. The reality of it is this, that God knew they were going to cross over and they were going to sin, yet He covenanted Himself with them, and yet He parted the waters for them, and yet He gave them victories, and over all these things, allowing them to go through these struggles. But here's the goodness of God. You want to hear the goodness of God in all of it? He injected, He injected into their culture something of Himself that would turn them back. 
God, knowing that they were going to make a mistake, God, knowing that they were going to fail and fall multiple times, God, knowing that He was even going to have to send them into exile to get them to repent, God, knowing all these things, sent them anyway, loved them anyway, and gave them a song to remind them. This song, He said, will not be forgotten by them. This song would have been remembered at the time when, even when the priests had forgotten about the Word of God in Josiah's day when they found it hidden in the, in the temple and they brought it out shocked. Here's the Word of God and they ripped their clothes when they read it. The song would turn them back to that point just across the Jordan River to their covenant with God. This is what's cool about God. You ready? Those of us who pick up our guilt, those of us who feel like, oh, I failed God, oh my gosh, God this, God that, listen... He knew what you were going to do before you did it. He knew when He called you here, He knew He was going to save you and He was going to send you on your way and He knew every mistake that you would make along the way. He knew every shortcoming. He knew every failure. He knew every fault. He knew every mistake that you were going to make. And and we need to stop thinking that we surprise God with our mistakes. You can't surprise God. He already knew. And if He loved me here, knowing that I, who I was going to be there, then why would I assume He would send me back to there? Does God make mistakes? No. He walks through them with us. He knew the end result of Israel. He knows the end result of Jerusalem. He knows what His plan's going to be. And so He allowed Himself to plug Himself into the culture of the people so that it would turn them back to Himself. And I look over my life and I see so many times where God has given me rainbows. You say, what's a rainbow? Noah's day where God said, look, I'm never going to destroy the world again. I'm going to give you a promise and I'm going to give you a rainbow to show you. Every time it rains, folks, there was a rainbow just a couple weeks ago. It was beautiful and we saw it. And every time I see it, I think of Noah. But God's given me rainbows in my life. Reminders of who he is that I cannot forget. I described to you vividly. I could walk to the spot of the road where I said to my dad what I said about him. I could go to the spot in the road, the little hump right there by the airport where he made clear to me that he was my father and it doesn't matter whether I win or lose a game, he'll always love me and he'll always be proud of me. I can go to those spots. Why? Because God injected that into my memory and my culture to turn me back constantly to remind me of a good father's love, my heavenly father's love in my life. God has placed things in your path and in your life, songs, places, People, relationships, things that you come into contact with and it automatically turns you back to another time and a place. He wants to push you to Himself and constantly draw you to Himself, calling you out of your guilt, your shame, and your frustration back to a relationship of love and reconciliation. That's our God. That's who we serve. I don't know how we can't shout when that's the God we serve. I don't have to earn his affection. He knew what was going to happen to me, and he loved me anyway, so why would he stop like he got shocked that I just, I can't believe you just did that. I am just shocked. We serve an awesome God, folks. And we don't have to walk around afraid. If, you have, if he's your Lord and Savior, Romans 4, I'm just going to read through some of these verses really quick. Romans 4, verses 7 and 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Hallelujah. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7.19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. People talk about the, our sin being cast into a sea of forgetfulness, that God cannot remember sin. Can I, can I tell you the truth on that? Is that God can remember sin. He can. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible says God can't remember his sin. What that passage is talking about is that he will not recall it. He's not going to hold you in account for it. When it's talking about forgetting your sin, it's as though it is forgotten. Listen, if God forgot all the sin, then he would have to forget large portions of his own word that's going to last forever. Stop and soak on that for a second. That means he would not even know about David's sin because he's totally forgotten about it. But yet his word's going to endure for all of eternity. Listen, David's sin is never going to get forgotten because it's going to be in the word. It's a message of of God's great deliverance and power. But what that means when it says he's forgotten it, it means that when we stand before him, he's not going to bring it back up into account to me. 
because of the blood of Jesus in my life, that means through salvation, I get to stand before a holy God and actually stand. And he's not going to say, you know, Bob, remember that time when you said this about me and you did this? Remember that? That, that didn't please me very much. You know what, Bob? You remember that time when you... He's not going to do that. He's going to treat it as though it's forgotten. Have you, do you have any friends that have ever done anything wrong to you that when you talk to them, you would never dare bring that up because you'd never want to hurt them again? It's the same thing. It's as though it's forgotten, even though you know it's there. An omniscient God is not going to forget our sin, but He is not going to bring it back into account to us. He's a good God. And through that, that's what these passages are talking about. It's His great in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life is set me free from the law of sin and death. Praise God that there is therefore now no condemnation There is no recalling of your sin as a believer. There is no recollection. There is no having to give an account for my sin in front of God. Folks, I am telling you that when we make mistakes, there is a whole lot more grace for a reconciled child of God than there is for the one in rebellion. We are more saved. Thank you, Jesus. Because I don't know about you, I need a whole lot of grace and mercy in my life. How's come my mom was the only one that amened that? <laughs> it's not good when you say, I need a whole lot of grace and mercy in my life. And your mom goes, amen. <laughs> Sorry. In closing this morning. <laughs> in closing, one more verse. Turn to uh, John chapter 15. We talked last week about the joy of the Lord. And living a little bit joyful, amen? Isn't that good to live joyful? Yeah. Makes me think of that song. That <laughs> when I was in Bible school as a kid, Ananias and Sapphira got together to inspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power and did not fear and tried to cheat the Holy Spirit. Peter prophesied and they both dropped dead. God loves a cheerful giver. Give him all you've got. He loves. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of a story is that to tell a little kid at offering time? God loves a cheerful giver. Give him all you've got. He loves to see you laughing when you're in an awful spot. So when the odds are up against you and you cannot do a thing, praise God to praise him is a joyous thing. How many of you know that song? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, kids, God's going to strike you dead if you don't give joyfully to him. (laughs) Oh, if you can't find a little bit of humor in some of this stuff, then I... John 15, verses 11 and 12, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That passage, obviously, we talked about last week, that the joy of Christ is in us, that then that joy is shared with others through salvation. But how, you know, how did he love us? And I, I kind of want to speak this over you, the, John 15, verses 13 through 17. Jesus told his disciples this before he went to the cross. He says, greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus stood there and told the disciples, here is our relationship. You are my friends. You are my friends. And I think some of us in the room need to catch this today. I don't want you to let your mind go back to your most recent fault and failure. Look, look, if you've made a mistake, say, Father, forgive me. Get up and move on. Let the blood cover it. There's grace there for it. There's mercy there for it. Move forward in that. But, but He looks at you and He calls you His friend. He's your friend. I can tell you this. My closest friends, if I make a mistake, they don't beat me down for it. They pick me up. My closest friends, if I'm having a bad day, they encourage me. My closest friends, if I, if I say or do something stupid, they'll chuckle with me about it and then they'll say, man, you, you know, you probably shouldn't have said that. I know. And then they don't beat me down. They pick me up and help me walk in holiness. Those are my friends. Jesus said, I am your friend. 
And I'm a friend that I'm laying my life down for you. I'm that kind of a friend. I'm a sacrificial friend. I'm not a friend that's, that's just in this for popularity. I am your friend and I will lay my life down for you. In our culture, we say, buddy, I'll take a bullet for you if I have to. I love you. It's that kind of a friendship. Not the kind that is fickle and, 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 and cuts it off the first time you don't do something. Like Jesus isn't a selfish friend. He is a selfless friend. And we have to grasp that in our minds. He says this in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. He chose you, child of God. He chose you. It's easy for us to think, no, 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 I chose God. I did this, I did this. No, 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 no. He chose you. The only way that you ever came into any kind of standing with God was because he drew you to himself. You didn't choose him. He chose you first. And yet we act like we're the kid out on the playground that got overlooked for the basketball team when they're picking sides. You know? No, he chose you. He loved you in your imperfections and chose you. He loved you with an omniscient understanding of who you are and what you would do and what you would go through. He chose you knowing your faults and failures. He chose you knowing that at times you're going to fall short and want to give up. He loved you so much, child of God, that He did for you the exact same thing He did for Israel. Knowing your future, injected into your life and in your culture, reminders, little rainbows of His grace and His mercy. Things you can't forget. Places you can't go and forget about God. Conversations you can't have and forget about God. It's because He loves you, not because He's abandoned you. His mercy and grace. He chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is command, my command. Love each other. He says, love each other with that kind of love. Last week we talked about the joy that comes through our lives. But in this week we talk about a guiltless love. A love that will love others that in such a way of friendship that would lay my own life down for my friend and not put guilt trips and not put nonsense into them, not competitions, not ignorance that, that we see in churches and stuff. Relationships. I need to love people in the Spirit of Christ. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I will just unload my own guilt on Him. Say, but Pastor Bob, I've not been holy. I've not been righteous. All those things are important. But hear me. Hear me. Righteousness is important. But a righteous man, according to Scripture, falls seven times and gets back up. A definition of righteousness has never been, with the exception of Jesus Christ, a perfect life. I can't find one person in the Scripture that ever lived perfect other than Jesus Christ. Righteousness is found... When we do fall, we realize who He is, His power in us. We get back up. We say, Lord, forgive me for that. Accept His forgiveness and move on. And the only way we're going to love people as He loved us is by carrying that kind of guilt-free life. Sorry, I've already talked way too long today, but it's a very important message. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, I thank You that You loved us. I thank you that you called us friends. I thank you that you chose us. I thank you, God, that you called us and gave us a future where we can bear fruit. You've plugged us into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that you have given us reminders, songs that come on our radio. God, you have given us events and experiences that cannot leave our minds. God, you have given us places that we go that constantly draw us back to you. I thank you that you have given us reminders like you gave Israel, even though you knew they were going to sin, even though you knew that they were going to need correction, you loved them enough to not let them go. And I thank you that you love me enough to not let me go. And I thank you that you're merciful, you're gracious, you're kind. you're here today and you say pastor I, I totally resonate with this message because far too long I felt guilt and I have felt like I have to earn my heavenly father's love on a regular basis I'm not going to make you leave your seat if you're there just lift your hand acknowledge it we want to pray over you say that's me I've, I've been guilty yep 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 
Yep, lots of them. Lots of them. Hey, I got my hands up. <laughs> I know how easy it is to fall in this mindset of I got to please God all the time and I let him down and he's mad at me. Listen, he loves you. His, you're his friend. He went to the cross for you. And there may be some here today who say, Pastor, I don't know him as my Lord and Savior, but I want to change that today. I want to unload my guilt. I, I know he's drawing me. And I know he wants, he loves me and he wants me to be in re- reconciliation with him, relationship with him. If that's you, just with an uplifted hand, we want to pray with you. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Surrendering all to Jesus today. Amen. For those of you that just raised your hands, I want to pray over you. Father, I pray that you would break the guilt and the constant concern about performance, about being good enough to be accepted, about being good enough to be loved. Lord, I pray that each one of us would come to that place in our lives. And in your own way, you would say to each one of us, listen to me and I want you to listen good. You're my child. Win or lose, failures, faults, shortcomings, doesn't matter to me. I love you and I'm always proud of you. Father, let our lives then overflow. The things we do, not driven by a motive to try to impress you, but the things we do to be driven by a motive of celebration, to watch you smile, to celebrate the victories together, God, and to to be picked up in the shortcomings, Lord. I pray that we would see you as our help rather than somebody we have to constantly impress. Renew our thinking, renew our minds, Lord, to see you with the right eyes. And let us embrace your grace and your mercy today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you loved us. Even though you knew, you knew in advance everything we were going to say and do, but God, you also see the good. You have hope for us. You have an end result for us, and you're going to get us there. You will, God, not us. Not us trying to earn it, but you will. And may we ever be quickly drawn back to you, Father, to a place of repentance, love, and mercy. We thank you today for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Life groups start tonight. And sometime tonight, tomorrow, whenever it is, take a moment, have a conversation with your Heavenly Father. Tell Him thank you for loving you.